0: Hello, and welcome to our latest and indeed our final episode of 30 for Net Zero 30. I'm Anna-Marie Slott, Global Sustainability and ESG Partner here at Ashurst, and we're speaking to 30 changemakers around the globe about actions to take now to deliver on 2030 goals. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by co-founder and CEO of Rewired Earth. A non-for-profit coalition that compares what people want businesses and governments to be prioritizing against what they are prioritizing, based on real decision-grade data. Rupert, great to have you on today, and thank you so much for joining me. Um, maybe you can give us a little bit of background about, you know, how you come to be here and, and and how you came to found Rewired Earth.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it and it and it's great to be here. Really, really excited to be here today. Um, so been working in the uh, people and planet space, we're trying to think of a catchy, catchy tagline for it's it's not save the planet, but it's actually people who are in danger here, uh, and the human race. So how do we actually save ourselves, really? Um, So I've been working within um, social and environmental change for the last seven, eight years now. Um, And we were used to, I started a consultancy, and we worked on projects like the Special Olympic World Games um which was the first olympic ceremony that was completely co-designed co-created by a group of young people with learning disabilities and autism so we spent over 18 months um all over the world working very closely with the us government the uae government uk government but also and most importantly individuals on the ground local charities local organisations we created the first olympic ceremony that that Individuals perform live, they created all of the music, the dance, the art. Um, and it was working on that project that that really opened my eyes to, number one, the fact that so many people's voices are never heard. Right When we talk about individuals with disabilities, if we just look at the UK, only 4.3% of individuals with learning disabilities and autism are in employment that needs to change and their voice is very rarely heard but with this and and a very small piece but with this ceremony performed live to five and five and a half million people on espn forty five thousand people in the stadium individuals showed the power of of being given a voice and being able to direct and, and the autonomy to to direct their future um so that showed me the power of that and actually from a from a purpose and from an individual well-being perspective, the importance of that. And as we work on that project, work on the Special Olympics, and I was doing some work with the city of London around sustainability and the Green Finance Institute in terms of how do we communicate this? How do we tell stories to the masses to ultimately create behavior change? Um, and we were running disability campaigns. So we work with CNN and, and others to create over a thousand jobs for individuals with learning disabilities and autism but we started to to see a myriad of problems. And this is working with experts from across professional services, across academics, academia, um, business, um, civil society. We're all trying to solve these problems in silos. And everyone talks about the need for systemic change and the need to go faster to now. But but it's really true that we are all trying to solve things (laughs) in, in our own silos. And so we sat down and and interviewed people for through lockdown for probably 18 months individuals from all walks of life what does sustainability mean to you what do you want to, how do you want your future to be what really matters to you what do you care about what's going on in the market right now and actually we decided that the quickest way to solve our problems is through the financial markets. And actually, we need to truly value sustainability and value sustainability for for everyone. So we do need to reward those businesses that are truly making a difference from a sustainability perspective. And that's where Rewide Earth was really born with this simple idea that we need The equivalent of a food label for sustainability. We need that simple way for everyone to say, this is what I care about from a sustainability perspective. And and by the way, we can't keep reinventing the wheel. The United Nations Sustainable Development Goals endorsed by 193 countries encompass all of the most important things that we should be focusing on to make a healthier, healthier planet and a healthier society. So let's use the UNSDGs as that front layer and that food label. And then actually, let's understand what does everyone care about? What are millions of people all over the world prioritize when it comes to the UNSDGs? Because that's how the markets work. If we've got that clarity of demand, we understand what our customers, what our investors, what our employees, what our citizens really care about. Then we've got a business case. We've got a value case for change. And as you start to invest in sustainability, and invest in the things that your stakeholders care about, and demonstrate progress, based on real data, and I'm sure we'll get into data, decision grade data aggregated through a supply chain. If you can actually show that you're truly making a difference, then you'll be rewarded by those same stakeholders by those customers by those investors by those employees. So it's it, we, we think of it as an idea that time has come. It's a simple idea, but we need more information in the market and we need a simpler way to talk about it so that everyone knows what sustainability is and everyone can see quite clearly how does a government, how does a local authority, how does a business do against all of the things that really matter to me? And and that's where we've got to with, with Rewide Earth. Uh, that's a
0: fantastic story. fantastic story of how you got there. And really, you know, I think, um, you know, usually the the next question is sort of the big shift that you've seen in the last 18 months, but, uh, or two years, but you, you actually have the, the, the data, um, from interviewing, you know, people, uh, of about what the shift has been for people around, uh, talking about sustainability and talking about all of these different, different topics. So, so I guess through COVID did, did you see people's, um, did you see people's focus alter from between the beginning and the end? Or did you did you did you think people were becoming more aware, less aware?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so a couple of things that I think it's worth saying. So we've we've created with some of our partners across the market a simple app which allows us to collect that data and actually understand at a global level, at a, a local, national, and international level, what do people prioritize and what do people care about? And climate action is always one of those top four. If we think about the SDGs, the SDG 13, we think people are prioritizing. It's one of the top four and it's been consistent since COVID that that is coming up within the top four. But actually you start to see as uh, the war in Ukraine, peace and strong institutions started to move up and, and, and started to be prioritized. You look at COVID health and well being was becoming more and more important to people. So You do get those macro changes based on what is going on on a global level, but also at a local level. I think two two reflections is one, climate continues to be critically important and people are recognising the need for that change. And I think research is now starting to come out that suggests People don't just prioritize it, but actually they're willing to pay for it. So they are starting to move with their pockets in terms of Mm -hmm. wanting. And there's still huge problems with that, which we again can get into. The second piece is we were interviewing a lot of people from across the business sector, financial services. And obviously with ISSB, CSRD, Mm -hmm. all of the reporting standards coming in. It's becoming front of mind because it's now business critical from a regulation perspective that we need to be reporting against this thing. And actually, when we start going through our supply chains and whether we call it scope three or what we would like it to be is an aggregation of scope one, what what we're getting to is a point where um, we just don't know. We don't know. And, and the questions are so complicated that an SME at the bottom of the supply chain is going to find it incredibly difficult to, to, uh, to uh, um, answer those questions. And, and just one other piece that I think is a really recent change is we're talking about culture shift. So every conversation we have with a corporate partner right now is actually how do we have the conversation about the United Nations Sustainable Deve- Development Goals? How do we understand what they are? How do we understand what sustainability is? How do we start having a meaningful conversation to understand what our what our employees actually want us to be doing because organizations have taken pulse surveys in the past and they've done some interviews but actually how do we create this an app that's truly engaging that's mm. really educational that connects people around the world in terms of sustainability so how do i meet people in my local area in other countries That care about the same things as me. And actually, how do we drive collective change through this vehicle? And how do organizations become that conduit? So how do they enable their employees to have this meaningful conversation? And then not just talk about it, because that's great. We can hear what people care about. But actually, what are you as a board going to do about it? What are you as a government, what are you as a local authority actually going to do based on what those individuals and it'll be a myriad, it'll be academia, it'll be the latest science, but it'll also be what do people actually care about? What do they prioritize? And it's simple, but trust is eroded at at a level, particularly in the Western world, particularly in the UK. Trust is at an all time low. Community breakdown is increasing all of the time. We need vehicles. We need mechanisms to drive that change and bring people together from a sustainability perspective to really work together to solve these problems, because there's a myriad of different solutions and we need to find ways to knit them together.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, you, you talk to businesses and definitely, you know, but talent and retention is on every, is on the top of everybody's list together with sustainability. Right. And they're so interlinked to yeah. each other. Right. And the, and the way you're, um, your management and your board see that talent uh issue is connected to the perception that the people in your organization have about your organization as well as those outside on things that are critical to them like as you say like climate change so uh, really fascinating to kind of come at it from sort of two different ways uh, and depending on how you know even if you're not if you if you're not putting sustainability at the top of your list as a as a as a uh, someone who runs a company you're definitely putting talent on the top of your list because that's how your company actually excels and makes money um
1: absolutely absolutely and, and just to, to just to give you one real life example which i uh, hopefully brings to life the point of all this is work with one large corporate in the uk rolled out the the app um got amazing feedback got 90 percent completion rates in terms of people filling it in and then we took back the findings to the board uh and we said Look, what do you think is what do you think is coming up as the number one priority of your staff across the UK? What what do you what do you think that that they were finding? I
0: don't know wages, maybe
1: fair wages. No poverty, no poverty. So so wages, pretty much. No way. So no poverty. So we took no poverty to the board and said, "What are you going to do about it?" Like we've had some recommendations. We've got researchers who make some recommendations around what they should do. Um, they said, "Well, no poverty doesn't really affect us. We've we have some CSR initiatives and we work really hard on that and we support some charities. And um, we said, well, wait a minute. Are you, are you paying the living wage? Right. Is that part of your Mm. policy? Um, Quite forward thinking the organization are paying the living wage. Great. Next question. Okay. So what about all of your third parties from a procurement perspective? Are you paying the living wage? Wait a minute. We better go away and have a little look at that. No, they weren't. Yeah. Now, the outcome was that over the next two years, they're going to be ensuring all of their third parties do pay the living wage. And by the way, this is a huge supply chain. Mm. So actually making that shift to ensure that all of your third parties pay the living wage and then communicating that back to your employees who've told you what you care about and ultimately communicating that to new starters and new graduates that's incredibly powerful. And then seeing how that changes over time. So no poverty might be this year, but what is the focus next year? And and then all of the UN SDGs are interconnected. So playing that educational information back to your staff to explain that these are all interconnected and this is where we're focusing now, but we've got a clear roadmap for how we're gonna address all of these things in the next five to 10 years. And I think it's it's about having that clear roadmap that you can communicate to your employees and to new starters from a talent perspective,
0: it's interesting you say that we 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 had an earlier um, guest on our on the podcast series, um, Esther Pan Sloan, who was actually in the negotiating teams when they were working on the SDGs, because um, she was originally at the uh, you know in in government, and so um, she was really interesting in talking about how the countries. So SDGs is one of the early one of the examples of all the countries at the table. Right. So kind of going back to your point about the Olympics, having, you know, all of the people yep. in the room discussing it as opposed to kind of a subset that then talks to another subset to another subset somewhere else. So that's um, that's quite fascinating. So so you've given us one example actually already of, of specific action, um, but it, sort of in an ideal world, what would be your you know specific action to really get people moving and and when I say moving, moving from a lot of conversation and conversation is important, but moving into action like, you know, like that analysis of the supply chain.
1: I think it's about. Organizations at scale, but also governments, and I think the UK government's got a fantastic opportunity um, to really respond to that demand signal, because I think if we could prove the theory of change that actually demand does drive action that drives change then we're going to be meeting our mission but we're also going to be solving much more quickly all of the problems that we face and just just to give you one more example we're working with a very large pension provider and we think about make my money matter and the power of your pension and actually the money you have is hugely influential mm-hmm. and most people don't have any idea where their pension goes
0: mm-hmm. but
1: actually <laughs> starting to say these are the things i prioritize in terms of the unsdgs this is where I would want to have products and services and ultimately pension products that meet my needs. So how do we start designing these? How do we work with the market? And that's not just working with one pension provider. That We're a not-for-profit because we want to be the market infrastructure that provides that data, working with the ISSB, working with everyone else mm. to ensure that that demand signal is clear enough to drive that change. And so we've created a behavioural change framework with Sussex University, one of our great partners, and it's it's based off a lot of the research from Damon Centola at, at University of Pennsylvania. And that's all about tipping points and tipping points, not in terms of planetary boundaries, although they're critically important, as we all know, but tipping points in terms of social change. Because this comes down to behaviour change, ultimately, whether that's behaviour change of a corporate, of a government, of an individual. How do we drive that behaviour change? And that's all about reaching the 25 percent tipping point. So. If there's one thing we can do, it's figure out ways to hit the tipping points for social change around the things we really care about that are going to support people in our planet. How do we in our local community, how do we within our businesses, how do we within our cities reach the 25% of people who really want to drive change to, to create a better world for everyone? I've, I've got two young children, two young boys, and it's It's cheesy and lots of people talk about it. But what kind of future do we want for them? I don't want them living in a a future where they don't connect. I want them to be able to connect with like-minded people who want to drive change. And that's the employees that they they ultimately work for, but also the society in which we live. Everyone talks about running out of time, but this starts with people coming together and hitting those 25% tipping points. Because once you've reached 25%, then there's mass change potential in terms of influencing the rest of the population. So how do we ignite that? How do we ensure that there's the right content? Because if we think about the UN SDGs, they're failing predominantly from a comms perspective. A lot of money is being spent on anti-ESG, anti-sustainability, anti-UN SDGs. Huge amount more money is being spent on anti than for. So We need to really think about that collective message. How do we ensure people know about the UN SDGs? And then how do we start creating a demand signal around those UN SDGs to drive that change? And that's where, that's the epicenter of all the work we're trying to do with partners is to ensure that people know what they are to start with, but then they can actually take action based on them because they understand what they prioritize.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so you've mentioned you have kids. So, so what is it from your own personal life? I mean, maybe, maybe it is just co-founding Rewired Earth. But what are your own commitments? How are you? How are you looking at your own actions, kind
1: of say in the next twelve months or so? I was thinking about this this earlier, and the the commitment has to be we keep. We keep doing things top down and we forget bottom up. And that's the whole experience of the Special Olympics. And and even with Rewired Earth, we focus so hard on engaging business and big corporate and government and thinking about the local organizations and individuals who can shape this and can make in the simplest term, make the rewired Earth app better, make it more engaging, make the educational content really sing. Come, come
0: up with a new way of saying SDG. It's not engaging. It's an SDG. You gotta, <laughs> we, we got to find a new tagline for SDG. <laughs> it, ex- exactly. People don't even know what it is. <laughs> it,
1: ex- exactly. And, and when we were at One Young World this week in Belfast and you listen to young leaders all over the world, their number one priority was quality education. And that has never been the result. It's mm. never been the result of any of our releases of, of the app. And it's because they recognize the need. Mm. Education enables and gives you the power for significant change. So my commitment is how do we continually open Rewired Earth up for scrutiny as a not-for-profit? And we've said in our articles, if, we, if we're not serving a purpose, we shouldn't exist. But how do we continually open it up to different organizations, different activists? We're looking at a rollout. Across Africa early next year to 268 million people. How is the app fit for purpose across Africa? Mm. How are we listening? How are we shaping the app to ensure that it is fit for purpose? That you're to your point, if it's not the UN SDGs in terms of what the, the front-end name is, what is the name? How do we shape that? How do we create that together? Because it needs, you need top-down and you need regulation and you need the standards and the framework to get better and better. And when we talk about reporting the supply chain data and how we assure it and ultimately audit it, so we've got decision-grade equivalent to financial data, which we've got a long way to go, we need that to be coming in. But we also need grassroots and organisations and people to create change and be enabled to create change by, by getting involved in this and saying, what do they really care about? What do they want to drive? So there's a,
0: here's the hard one. So so one actionable takeaway for the listeners what what do you what do you think that would be? I mean it it's interesting. I think your the the focus on data and creating uh, awareness of the demand signals and using the data to do it is 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 really useful because that's something that businesses can get their heads around and governments can get their heads around. But so so what do you think? Our, our our listeners one one takeaway for them you can have two if you want number one
1: is don't be overwhelmed because everyone's overwhelmed right now no one knows what to do no one knows when they go in a supermarket what product they should be buying to be sustainable they don't know what to do for the best I could have chosen individual actions that I take in terms of um, the the car that I drive or the food that I eat which are all things that I'm doing to be more sustainable but actually You need to relax and and you need to breathe and and be actually with yourself. So don't be overwhelmed. And and number two, trust that your voice does matter. Mm. And find a way working with Rewired Earth or there's equivalent organizations and not-for-profits to, however small, make sure your voice counts. And if that's just filling in the app with Rewired Earth and saying, this is my priority, this is what I care about, this is where I want you to focus or it's joining a march, or it's join. find a way to commit to something, however small, and start the journey. Because behavior change is all about the small steps, nudging behavior, do something really small.
0: All right, small and achievable. Sounds good, sounds good. Thank you so much, Rupert. Thank you for for being on the show. Thank you um, for all of your insights. Um, again, if if people want to go look at Rewired Earth, I'm sure there's some, some great data there um, to take a look at as well.
1: Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you found it worthwhile. To learn more about the issues we've just covered, please visit ashurst.com forward slash podcasts. This 30 for Net Zero 30 episode is just one small part of our continuing podcast series, ESG Matters at Ashurst. Make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, you can also listen to our other episodes and leave a rating or review. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.